electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Fast Money. You've been watching the coverage of the CBS earnings call with CEO Les Moonves speaking for the first time since a bombshell New Yorker reporter brought up some major allegations of misconduct. He did not address those allegations. The Q&A is starting. We will have more on that as it develops. Good to have you with us tonight. We're starting with the historic day for Apple, a historic day for the markets, the first U.S. company to be worth a trillion dollars, closing above that level, in fact. Let that sink in. A trillion dollars. The stock smashing records as it jumped to an all-time high. It's been quite the odyssey for the California-grown company. Founded in a garage by the late Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in 1976. The first model of its computer launching the following year. The Apple One from the first Mac to the iMac to the iPod. And now, of course, the iPhone, the iPad. Products that literally have changed the way we live. And uh, here we are now at what looks like world domination for the tech giant. Uh, and it's such a big night, we're ditching the Bitcoin bug. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, contain yourself. Welcome, by the way. America, we we'll promise you. you'll be okay. We're replacing it with the Apple bug instead, and for obvious reasons. You can watch it as it continues trading after hours above that trillion-dollar milestone. Despite being the world's most valuable company, many still do not own it. Is that true, you think? Many still don't yes. own Apple? Well, not everybody would own it, or it would be a lot higher than a trillion. Okay. okay. Uh, for those at home who might be tuning in, the question is simple. If you don't own it, Guy Adami, can you still buy it? Yes, and it's a bit, it is a big deal. It is a huge deal. A trillion dollars is not to be trifled with. And we talked about this five or six years ago. We laughed at people that said that Apple will be the first trillion-dollar company. Well, here we are now. So I do think it's a big deal, and it's a big deal because everybody's talking about it. Answer your question. Can you still own it? A trillion dollars isn't a finish line. It's a benchmark. So if you were to look at this company, not know the market cap, and just look at the fundamentals, you say, this is a screaming buy here. And I'm not going to pretend I've been some <laughs> raging apple bull. I have not. I've been bullish over the years. I've been bearish. As the market has been, by the way, Dan pointed out last night that you've seen drawdowns in the stock a number of times. But this is the way I look at it. Right now, Apple's scheduled to make $13.45 a share next year. That means their market multiple, the amount people will pay for their earnings, is $15.42, as compared with a market multiple, the S&P 500, of 18.1. I would submit, as they continue to move their product mix more of a services where they have a recurring revenue stream and a growing revenue stream, maybe they should get a market multiple. If that's the case... You're talking about a stock that's somewhere around $245. Forget about the fact that the earnings number could actually grow, and the market might actually reward them with a higher multiple. So to answer your original question, yes, it's a big deal, and yes, I still think you can buy the stock. Yeah, I mean, listen, there has been multiple expansion. There's the stock we were talking about it 11 times a couple years ago, and I think a lot of that has come to the realization that this is going to be a 50, services, going to be a $50 billion business. It's got higher margins than a lot of their hardware uh, business. I'll just make one point, you know, talking about buying it here at an all-time high after it just broke out of a big, big range. 
range in a straight line, I think it's important to remember that there's three $800 billion market cap stocks that just made new highs after their earnings. It's Microsoft, it's Alphabet, and it's Microsoft. All of them pulled back after that breakout here. So I don't think you have to run out and buy this stock here. It was in a very nice long base for most of this year. We just got pretty much the all clear between now and the end of the year. I think there's probably a good shot, though. At some point, it retraces back towards that breakout level. And if you really have to own it for 2019, I think I think maybe more interesting is because it's such a widely owned and held name that if you do own it uh, already, should you use this opportunity to take some profits in it, hitting a trillion dollar market cap? Um, well, it depends on what you think. I think it's not a trillion in a, in a vacuum. It's a trillion after those earnings, which I thought were really, impressive. really impressive. And so for me, not owning it, having the ego of, God, I've missed this, I looked at today and said, all right, I have this much alphabet, way overweight, zero <clears throat> Apple. If I were just coming to Apple today, looking at the metrics today, would I own it or would I continue to own it if I already did? I'm the not saying was, sell yes. the whole thing. So I'm saying, some. you know. So I bought some today, which was a difficult thing for me to do, to buy some. It's not a huge position. If I had a huge position, I would probably sell some today. But owning zero, I felt like I had to swap out of some alphabet into this. Just short term, I have guaranteed the top for anybody out there. You can short or sell with impunity. It's going down tomorrow because I bought some. So the answer to, I guess, my question and both of the questions we posed at the top is yes, right? If you don't own it, you can still buy it, Tim. And if you do own it and you own a lot of it, it wouldn't be such a bad idea, perhaps, to take a little bit off the table. Well, that's always the case and after a big run. But, but I, I think Karen brought up the point, which is what has changed since that number, that it's not just that the price is higher, it's that the company has, first of all, showed you that they are delivering on that uh, diversification, the product mix, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think the fact that we're going into the strongest cycle or the period to own this stock into a new release, whether you're excited about what's going to happen in September or not with new products. And by the way, they did this in one of their historically weakest quarters. So um, I think it's easy to get out there and say, oh, trillion dollars. We're smart guys. Sell the facts. Sell the big number. I actually think that Apple right now, it's kind of like Guy and I, we talk about with Stairway to Heaven, is one of the most underrated, overrated songs. I think Apple is one of the most underrated, overrated companies right now because they are truly executing. I think a trillion dollars makes them harder to catch right now. I think R&D, I think in terms of the size, I think the pressure they put on their suppliers. Why is Apple weaker today? That's a trillion well, dollar company. It's stronger. Can I make one point? I mean, they have not grown iPhone units in the last four years. Okay, so here's there's, there's a lot of things that I think are really important to consider. So what are these big markets? They're emerging markets, okay? And we know from every U.S. tech company that their average re revenue <laughs> per user outside of North America is much lower in most every other region. So if their next growth area is going to be a much lower margin hardware place where they don't actually get the leverage of the ecosystem because of the services, then the story could be kind of dead for a little bit. China's sales were up 19%, though, Dan. Tim Cook said the that's China's That's right. So, so Tim, and, and how much success have they had selling apps over the iTunes store in China? They're they selling don't. handsets. No, but, Are we but, more but worried the about the hardware business? That's no, what I hear Facebook you talking about. Facebook can't be in there. Google can't be in there. Netflix can't be in there. So the one thing that they've been able to do in China is sell hardware, okay? okay. So the idea of selling services in China... Isn't that the hardest part a low-income population? And isn't that the bread and butter of the business? You're telling me the bread, of the bread and butter of the business going forward is going to be services. I'm no, telling you no, that they're not going to be I able said to sell services in China. I said is good for this company. That's what changed for me. They've reaffirmed, actually, that they're broadening their business model. They're becoming possibly, um, I think, a, a 
first of all, the iPhone volatility, I actually think this is a much more predictable company. I see $250 billion on their balance sheet that, to me, ensures over the next three years they're going to be buying back probably 20 to $25 billion they, of they, stock. They pretty much buy back more stock than anybody else. They return more cash to shareholders than anybody else. They have the most cash on their balance sheet than anybody else. They have the highest market cap than yeah. anybody else. What's, what's they have the ability, the which life. many don't, to raise their prices as well, which offsets some of the softness that they could see and they have been <laughs> seeing in actual iPhone numbers, well, those higher ASPs. I'll just make one point before you go to Guy. I, I think it's astounding. They bought more stock back last quarter than they've ever bought when the stock was at all-time highs. In the last two quarters, they bought $43 billion. You think that's a sign of weakness? That's no, what I, I don't. I'm just saying it. Can I finish? I'm just saying it's We're pretty astounding. I'm just saying it's pretty astounding. It obviously is a level of confidence about whatever the heck they're doing over there. They probably get penalized in terms of the valuation for their cash position. Karen can probably speak to this. I mean, if, if they were to put it to work without maybe buying back stock and maybe buying a company where they could see some ridiculous growth, maybe that valuation would go higher. So I would submit, you're right, you have a quarter trillion dollars sitting around in terms of a cash position. What do it they probably do works it? Do against they, Do they them. need to do a big okay, I thought with five the cash. or six years ago, and we talked about this, they should have bought a Netflix. I get it. I so, mean, I, I know. Yes, I, I, mean, I hear things you. They that could have sailed. Done. Maybe what do they do sailed. now? What well, do they do I'm not saying Dan's going to think I'm next? nuts. I think I happen to think that Square is not necessarily a hardware company. I think it's a technology company. Wouldn't it be? Doesn't a Square just go so nicely with it with the Apple products? I mean, that wouldn't be a crazy acquisition. You're probably talking about a forty billion dollar deal, and that could be tremendously creative for them going forward. What about the money? Should they make a big acquisition? They haven't made yeah, one yet. Yeah, so way. sorry. Beats. I mean, that was the. What was that? Right. Beats was the biggest one. Beats, Apple Music. Yeah, you know, but, but if you say, okay, they've now hit a trillion, let's look at the next, you know, five-year trajectory for the company and the stock. Do they need a big acquisition? Do they need to deploy some of that overwhelmingly large amount of cash uh, for the next five-year milestone? Right now, this seems to be working pretty well yeah. for them. I don't know that they need... What I, what I don't really love is them spending a ton of money on autonomous driving. I feel like they're really late to that. See, I disagree with money. that. I, I, okay. I'm, just saying, just, I'm not surprised you disagree no, with no, what I'm I, saying, I, but I, I actually think that, that that's anything related to AI and autonomous, I think this is, like the, the, this is the next real platform for them. I mean, I, so, but so how do they get an edge there? What's that? How do they get an edge there? Well, they have Siri that had like 100 billion search. I mean, when you think about all the different things, how are you going to monetize autonomous fleets? I, mean, I see future? how Uber does it. Be... I see how Tesla does it. I'm not sure how, well, how Google's Apple made does a it. huge push there. Right, Alphabet and they've with been Waymo. way ahead. Their Waymo just, is We're way in the ahead. first pitch of the first inning. Of, of autonomous. We're in the first pitch of the first inning. So if you say to yourself, think about this. iPads are gone, okay? Right now, we have the, their other products, which are wearables. It's the AirPods and it's the, um, and the watch. It's greater than the combination of Macs and iPads. So iPads going to be gone at some point, too, right? So this is a company that needs to continue to replace their second biggest product. If you take the iPhone ecosystem and you take all the stuff that's surrounded it, that is one product. And I don't think they want to be the one product company forever. So what's the, the next only, the thing? Only thing here's Here's all I'll say about what we know right now is not only do I agree with Karen saying it's not broken, it's very not broken, but also they've got two things. They've got a brand that's untouchable. So they are the largest consumer products company in the world. That means loyalty. Uh, and again, that installed base of a billion phones, which you talk about all the time. Uh, to me, that is something this company has to do nothing right now. It, the, the ball's in their court. They, they can hang loose. Certainly uh, seems that way. All right. Uh, from one trillion dollar company uh, to another, mm. perhaps, who's going to be next? Amazon, Microsoft. Alphabet. Well, I think it's Amazon. Where are you Amazon. placing your bets? I, I think it's Amazon, and, and ultimately I think it's Amazon has the ability, like Apple, to create a desire in the consumer base that we don't even know we have yet. Um, but I look at their, these last, 
this last quarter's numbers. Their operating margin was up 375 percent. These guys are actually shifting it into higher gear right now. They have more lever levers to pull in the short to medium term than anybody, and they're 15 percent away. I mean, well, they're the closest statistically, so that would make them the most likely, I think, just because they're closest. But I think Alphabet could get there. If the Alphabet were to do something very aggressive with their cash hoard, which actually on a per share basis is bigger than Apple's, they could get there much quicker. Amazon, 895, Alphabet, 858, Microsoft, 825, at least as of uh, this conversation or thereabouts. Well, listen, if the bull market's intact and we continue to go higher into next year, all of them will be trillion-dollar market caps. And I think it's important to remember that these five stocks, the five biggest ones we're talking about, Apple, Amazon, uh, Alphabet, Facebook, and Microsoft, they have a combined market cap of $4 trillion. That's almost the size of the Shanghai Composite when you think about it. So this is like, this is happening. It's a juggernaut. It's not ending until the market ends and they're all going to well, be trillion say, that, that may be this, the sign where we then start asking the question, is that the top in the market where you have all of these companies on top of a trillion dollars what sort of statement of itself that will that will make so the so the That's and i've made this analogy i don't know how smart of an analogy it is but you're saying can four stocks sort of continue to lead the market and i submit like we talked about a couple weeks ago the red sox have 25 guys on the team it doesn't mean that all 25 are carrying their weight they're probably four or five guys that are carrying that team and they're playing 700 baseball so it can last longer than people think yep. All right, coming up, check out shares of CBS. The stock is lower as the CEO, Les Moonves, is on the conference call as we speak. The Q&A beginning as well. We'll tell you what he's saying and, uh, more importantly, what he didn't say. Plus, this earnings season sparking a sell-off in some of the market's favorite stocks. So which ones are now a buy? A top technician will weigh in. And later, as Apple hits a trillion, was the smart money on the wrong side of that trade? We'll tell you why Apple's amazing run could be another hit to hedge funds. We're live from Times Square in the heart of New York City. And there is much more fast money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Back on Fast Money with an earnings whip now. Our own Eric Chemi pulling double earnings duty for us tonight, covering two gaming companies, Activision Blizzard and Take-Two Interactive. He took maybe a break from playing Fortnite to do this report as well, Eric. <laughs> I, I'm impressed with this double box. I, 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 I'm, I've never seen something like that before, so that's blowing my mind here. No, I don't play Fortnite because I'm afraid it's going to addict me like all these NBA and NFL players that you can't even draft because they might get addicted. But anyway, Activision, Take-Two earnings both out. Reversal of fortunes for both companies from their year-to-date performance. Take-Two had been unchanged all year, but now up about 10% after the bell. 
Activision down 1% after the bell after having a good 14% run this year. Both companies talking about esports early in their conference calls. That's a big growth area for both companies. Take two seeing strength from their NBA 2K product. Remember, the first ever NBA 2K League just started a few weeks ago. Take two CEO Strauss Zelnick said that NBA 2K18 is the company's highest selling sports title ever. Meanwhile, Activision pointing to its Overwatch League, which just had its finals a few days ago over at the Barclays Center. It's set up like a traditional sports league with city-based teams. There's even a bunch of major pro sports team owners involved owning some of these teams. And here's what Activision CEO Bobby Kotick said on the Activision call. As the mainstream popularity of esports continues to grow, we're well positioned to leverage the success of our Overwatch League model to develop new esports opportunities in the future. So that's the story from Activision and Take-Two. Of course, Fortnite is their big competitor, so we've got to watch to see if that's going to affect their long-term fortunes down the road. Back to you guys. That's exactly why I brought it up. I know, I know they're thinking about it and probably talking about it on their respective calls as well. I, I, I've got to believe that analysts, uh, Eric, are asking them that, that very uh, question. You heard anything about that? I uh, haven't heard anything about it yet. The calls are still going on. They'll still go on for, uh, you know, I think until 5.30. So it's still in play. They might have said it while we were talking just now, but that, that's yeah. still definitely happening. Esports definitely big. Eric, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. What, 11,000 people at the Barclays Center? The and I was there. You guys, cover, you guys you? covered it on the show. 11,001. Look, <laughs> Activision with, with Overwatch to me as a franchise is going to get bigger and bigger. The problem here is that the second quarter Call of Duty was knocked it out of the park, and the third quarter guide, at least for now, was weaker. It's a stock that actually is traded from 80 down to, you know, the 60s, you know, ultimately, let's put it this way, I think at around $62, $63, you've got a base on the stock, which is about 25% off the top. I'm not sure you need to jump into this thing tomorrow, but there's four or five guys that are, make, that are carving out this space, and I think Activision is one of the long-term players, and I think Overwatch, which is getting cities involved and the passion of sports fans, like guys going to love the New York, you know, Overwatch team, even if they lost in this year's finals, that, you know, it's an exciting time. How, how worrisome, in all seriousness, is the Fortnite craze when you're talking about these kind of stocks and, and maybe taking well, away from some of the other titles so that last people week, are playing. So last week, when EA reported, uh, the stock got taken down 5 6% the day after, and it went down, and I think in total, peaked a trough from an all-time high, about 10%. These two stocks that we're talking about followed suit. They were down in sympathy. So it's interesting to see one of them up, back up to those levels. And the issue specifically was related to Fortnite. It was live gaming, and it was mobile gaming, and they saw a hit from it. And I think the issue right now is I think it's interesting that they're talking about esports so soon in the call. They don't really want to talk about the competition of Fortnite right now. That's the thing that really put EA in the box last week. Yeah, all right. Check out where we stand with CBS. As we said, a CEO, Les Moonves, on the call right now with analysts making public comments for the very first time since the bombshell report from Ronan Farrell. We'll tell you what he's saying, what he didn't say, perhaps more importantly. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. Actually, it's not, because shares of McDonald's and a number of other burger stocks have been in the dumps. And one trader made a big bet that it could go even lower. We'll explain. Plus, as Apple passes a trillion dollars, you won't believe the number of hedge funds that missed the move. We're naming names when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Back to Fast Money. CBS shares lower after hours. The conference call concluding just moments ago with CEO Les Moonves speaking but not addressing any of the recent allegations. Julia Borston will not only tell us what Mr. Moonves said, but also the one big thing, Julia, he didn't address. Well, he certainly did not address anything about the allegations of sexual misconduct or the pending litigation with Sherry Redstone's national amusements. Those, of course, are the two issues hanging over CBS stock. Instead, Moonves gave a 15-minute monologue about the company's growth. The only comment about the allegations, or as well as the uh, pending litigation, came from CBS's EVP of Corporate Finance and Investor Relations, Adam Townsend. Take a listen. In light of pending litigation and other matters, and on the advice of counsel, the scope of today's call and any questions will be limited to the quarterly results of the company. Abiding uh, that uh, restriction by Townsend, no analyst asked any questions about those issues, instead focusing on the company's better-than-expected growth of its streaming services, CBS All Access and Showtime OTT. The company saying it will hit 8 million subscribers a year early and now target 16 million subscribers by the year 2022. As you can see, our strategy is clearly working. Our base advertising business is strong. And we continue to grow new revenue streams from all the ways we're licensing and distributing our ever-increasing portfolio of premium content. Key to the success is the expansion of our direct-to-consumer services across entertainment, news, and sports programming, and internationally as well. Moonves is also talking about how they're creating more content for streaming companies with 24 pilots in development between premium cable and streaming, streaming services such as Amazon. Moonves is also saying that they're glad that the limits on station ownership have lifted and they would be interested in buying the right stations that could fit for them. He also said that new loosened rules around sports betting are a huge opportunity, both in terms of the focus on live sports and also advertising. But again, no comment on either the investigation into the sexual harassment allegations or the legal battle with Sherry Redstone. Scott, back over to you. Julia, are you surprised that he did not address uh, the allegations? I think he's following the advice of his attorney. I can only imagine that this is a legal decision not to say anything. I think I expected him to say something simply because his comment to The New Yorker in response to the allegations and in the article they published, his response to The New Yorker was so thorough. It was so long. I mean, it was a full paragraph response. It wasn't a no comment. Um, it was actually a lengthy response. So <laughs> I would have expected a little bit more here, but I would suspect that this would be a, a legal decision not to say anything. Yeah, that's why I asked. Julia, thanks so much. Julia Borson out in L.A. You, um, Karen, own a, a bit of the stock? I do own a little bit of the stock. I mean, uh, uh, it's it, kind of interesting to me. Well, you can't ask any questions about the one thing that you want to ask about, but everything else is okay. 
that, that I don't know, I'm surprised that one analyst at least didn't try to Sneak through you know, the gate. just give it a go. Why not? Maybe they, you know, pre-approved all of the questions. I don't know. I'm just very surprised they did it this way, I, I, you know, to make a big deal. Oh, he's going to be on the call. Oh, but he's not going to say one single thing that you want to hear. Yeah. Well, the allegations against uh, Mr. Moonves have led to one key question. Is the CBS board complicit in the Moonves scandal? Uh, in a column for the New York Times earlier this week, Jim Stewart laid out the murky waters surrounding the board, how much they might have actually known <laughs> about the allegations. Many questions remaining unanswered tonight as Ronan Farrow, who originally broke the story, reportedly gearing up to do yet another piece on Moonvest. Jim Stewart here, uh, thankfully, with us now. Jim, good to see you. Nice to um, see you. So give me your initial reaction to not addressing us at all this evening on the call. Well, I think it's tricky because, you know, as she said, he, he did address it to The New Yorker. And I would have thought that at the very least he would have made some sort of reiteration of that sort of statement. And I, I think it's particularly significant that in The New Yorker comment, he didn't just deny everything. He did apologize and say, you know, he was sorry if he had made advances that made some women uncomfortable. I read that. I said, whoa, you know, who approved that statement? That's an admission that something went on here. And I think that's going to be a, that's a serious issue for CBS as they go forward. And also, as I pointed out, it's a very serious issue for the board. If that's the case, are, are you surprised that he wasn't suspended pending the investigation? Yes, I was initially surprised. I thought, you know, look how Disney has ha handled similar allegations, even with some, some fairly senior people. They immediately go on leave. Now, that's not to say they're guilty. That's not saying we're prejudging this. We're not firing anyone. But under the circumstances, it's best for all concerned if you step aside. Now, here we have a different situation. It, he is the CEO. Uh, in contrast to people like Harvey Weinstein, he is much loved by the advertising community up until now by investors by many employees. And I think a big question for the board, and they must have talked about this on Monday, is if he did step aside, who are they going to put in the interim? Because he's not the only one who's under a cloud. The board said, we're going to be investigating the whole culture of this company. We're going to be looking at other executives in the company mm -hmm. to see if they knew, did they not do anything, are there other examples of this? They don't want to put someone in as the interim and then have to take them out well, what, in another month or what two. What do you... What's, what do you think the board knew and, and, and when did they know it sort of question? Well, there, are, there are some, you know, sprinklings out there today that maybe some members of the board had heard some, some uh, uh, allegations about Moonves. Oh, I, I know that they, they had heard the allegations. And I reported in my column that Sherry Redstone asked Moonves point blank if there was any truth to the rumors. And supposedly he said there wasn't. Now, I don't know exactly what was asked and answered, but it's a serious issue. I mean, they may be at odds. But the chief executive of a major company cannot dissemble or be less than candid when they get important questions from the board. And again, we know um, the, these articles have been in the works for months. The, the New York Times was calling them in December. The Wall Street Journal was calling them. Ronan has been working on this article for months. In like February, March, they were sure that the New York was about to drop the bombshell. These are people inside CBS. At this point, clearly, first of all, directors heard the rumors. But I would feel it's the obligation of executive CBS to warn the directors that a bombshell may be landing. I know CBS has acknowledged that the New Yorker contacted them a week before. Ronan has said it was even longer than that. But let's say it was a week. That was a week when they could have prepared for this bombshell. They were caught completely flat-footed. They didn't even have a law firm on deck to take on the internal administration. And, as I reported, 
they told some directors, but not all, that the New Yorker story was about to come. And even if you don't like some of the directors, I don't understand how you can get away with telling some people material information and withholding it from do, other voting members of the board. Do you think Moonves survives this? And what is left of CBS on either side of that equation? Well, those are big questions. Obviously, I don't have a crystal ball. But my own view at this point is it's going to be very tough for him to survive. He has bought some time here. The board has bought some time to maybe prepare for a transition in a little more orderly way. But I don't see it being much more than that, given his virtual admission to The New Yorker and the possibility that, you know, once this Pandora's box is opened, other people will come forward. There, you know, NBC reported that somebody went to the L.A. District Attorney's Office and they didn't pursue it, but only because the statute of limitations had run, not because they didn't believe it had happened. These are all very, very serious matters. And they've got some very good law firms, Covington and Burling, Debevoys and Plimpton, very, very highly respected. They've got Mary Jo White, the former U.S. attorney. They're running this thing. I, I think that's going to be a very serious, incredible investigation. And if it, something happened, they're going to find out. I, I, in this climate, I just don't see how he survives. Yeah. Appreciate your insight. Sure. As always, Jim Stewart, New York Times. So, send it to all of you. What well, do you do? I'm wondering, though, does the, I don't know how long it'll take the board to come to some conclusion. October is sort of a, an important time because we, we may have quickly some resolution on the Viacom issue at that time. That would maybe be an important point. Also, he has, I believe, a contract extension until June of 21, at which time he would be 72. <clears throat> I don't know if, I mean, that was last year, I think, extended. I mean, I, I, if I were the board, I just, I, I don't see how they can, uh, is it literally would be a statement, we've investigated all 16, 12, however many claims, found none of them to be credible. We have found no pervasive environment of harassment at all. And while we're, while we're looking into this, we're going to leave him there, we, but we've done our job. That's, I, maybe it could happen. The, the other thing, Tim, to consider is, is sort of all, as all of this comes to a head, uh, in the fall of the trial, and who knows where this particular investigation <laughs> is going to go. As Larry Haverty said in the wrap-up of the last hour, I mean, that's the prime time, so to speak, for uh, a lot of these networks, the, especially like CBS, the fall season rolling out. Well, yeah. Moonves himself on the call talking about not having to program against the Olympics in the coming year, having the Super Bowl. The sky is blue uh, for this company moving forward. This brings potential storm clouds at arguably the worst possible time. They do, but I, I think these, this company is prepared, and I think their, their networks are as streamlined as any. I think this is part of the, really the core. Um, you know, the reason why you own the stock as an investor is, be, is for showtime and that these networks are probably as well positioned as any. Um, I think at 13 times, the stock's taken on a fair amount of hits and, and actually looks relatively cheap, certainly cheap to the sector. And when you consider the quality of these assets, I think it's going to be murky and smoky for the next couple months. Uh, but I think if investors hang in there, you know, whether you get Viacom, whether he stays or goes, unless it's clearly been an asset for this stock, but there's still a great asset base. Okay. For all the latest headlines and expert analysis on the CBS saga, head to CNBC.com. Uh, throughout the hour. You'll see right there uh, the very latest on what's going on there. Still ahead, it's been an earnings season of pain for a number of once high-flying stocks, but top technician Chris Barone says there's three names you should buy on the dip. He'll tell us what they are when Fast Money returns. Go back to Fast Money. Earnings season well underway with more than a half of companies in the S&P reporting thus far, but a number of big names haven't been doing so hot following their reports. Let's get to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange for more. Hey, Bob. 
Hey, Scott, good to see you. Earnings growth is still going strong. Quarters looking great, but a number of stocks have gotten punished in the face of lower guidance, macro headwinds, and other metrics that missed the mark. So take Twitter, for example. They beat on revenues and had inline earnings, but expressed concerns about weak monthly average users, and they gave a weaker outlook. That took the stock down 20% the day it reported. Another one, Intel, beat on the top and bottom line. But delays on new chips and some margin concerns weighed on the stock. It was down 9% the next day. Then this Caterpillar, they fell 3% the day after its report. The company beat on earnings but still finds itself squarely in the crosshairs of a U.S.-China trade war. American Express fell more than 3% after missing on revenues due to higher marketing costs and other expenses. Now, as far as sectors go, energy's had the biggest earnings miss so far, a lot of big ones here. Average negative surprise factor, about 10%. Shares of Royal Dutch Shell, for example, got punished after earnings fell short of expectations, though Shell did announce the launch of a much-anticipated share buyback program. Now, that stock's down 6% just since reporting. And sometimes when a stock has had a big run-up, you don't really need a lot of bad news to cause a sell-off. So take PayPal. You know, they beat on the top and bottom lines last week. They gave decent guidance, but after a 22% run-up on the year, inline just wasn't good enough. That day was the historic high for PayPal. It, took, it fell for five days in a row after that. It's about 7% off of its historic high. Here's the bottom line. It's the direction of the guidance that really matters. The rate of change matters to investors. And when suddenly it gets worse, as in the case of a couple of Fang names, the stocks go down. Back to you, Scott. All right, Bob, thank you very much. Have a good night, Bob Pisani. Our next guest says there are three earnings losers to buy on the dip. Let's go off the charts now with Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners. Hey, Chris. Hey, Scott. Yeah, so we brought along three names today, and let's start with a big global bellwether. This is Caterpillar. But when we talk about Cat, let's talk about where it's come from. It's only 18 months ago that this was a $90 stock. So it goes 90 to 170. And then we think about 2018. It's basically been in this 20% drawdown all year. We think it's hated enough where it's probably worth a shot on the long side, but we have to use a tight stop. That 132 level, those are the lows from a couple weeks ago. It has to be your line in the sand here. You start to get this above 142, 143, you can make a case that it's resuming trend. So use that stop in your 132. Let's go to biotech here. Uh, this is Amgen. It's been basically unchanged uh, since it reported last week. This is one of our favorite long-term pictures in the space. It's been in this massive base for the better part of the last four or five years. 130 on the downside, 200 on the high side, pushing up against that 200 level. That gives us a target of about 270 should, it break, uh, should this one break out here, which we suspect that it does. And then lastly, this is Amex. I think what's curious about Amex here is higher low, when it bottomed uh, in January, higher low in March, higher low in June, testing that level right now. We think that risk reward here near 97, 98 is interesting. But again, let's be careful about our lines in the sand. 95 would violate the thesis. So that's our line in the sand. But ultimately, we think that risk reward here uh, is interesting. Come on over. Whoa, well, got it. Yeah, that was from right over. Oh, it's very like, authoritative, <laughs> just, you know, matter of fact. It's going to happen. Was I going to leave it to you? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter what I was going to say now. Because that's why I say, come on over. <laughs> uh, I mean, I get the technical story, but uh, nowadays you have to take so many other things into consideration. Now, Caterpillar is a perfect example. It's like China, China, China. You can tell me technicals all day long, but I've got all these other variables to worry about. I'm going to challenge that view a little bit. Uh, you have the S&P up 5% year-to-date, 7% on a total return basis. 
and the headlines for six months have been about as bad as anyone could have ever written. So the broader market's been really resilient in light of this. So if you're a believer that this bull market in stocks is not over, and you have a name like CAD on pretty good earnings, down 20% from the highs, it's probably worth a shot on the long side if we're very strict with our stocks. And, you know, Dan, we talked about 132, 133, I think that's really the line in the sand here. Yeah, it, was a beat, I, it was a beat and race quarter after the to, high watermark nonsense of but, the three but that, months but ago. That, the biggest issue was how that stock reacted. It opened up, you know, three, four percent or something. It was trading even higher in the pre-market. Just gave it all back and closed down. That was earlier in the week, I think, on Monday. But think of the headlines we've had, and I think this is what Scott's talking about. Even though I agree with what Chris is saying, I mean. Caterpillar is the poster child for what's going on around the world, especially in terms of machinery demand. And, and the, the headlines in the last 24 hours have been awful. Look at steel companies. Look at other, you know, highly correlated names. So. You just think about how the market responded today. At one point last night, S&P futures were down 20 handles and closed yep. up 20 handles, market right? So well. 40 basis point uh, reversal here uh, on the spiders, right? Pretty decent action considering how negative the headlines were overnight. Then you look at some of these industrial sector peers uh, of CAT actually quietly acting a little bit better. <clears throat> the two-week industrial uh, S&P spread is as good as we've seen since mid-2016 right now. So some of these other names have some momentum. They're worth taking a shot on here. Amgen, what do you guys say? I mean, healthcare, as has as sort of been saying, it's like the greatest trade no one's talking yeah. about. The well, Guy talked about it. led the market. It led the market in July. Healthcare has been, yeah, we talked about value especially versus growth. Biotech. One of the value places has been in healthcare. And Amgen specifically, we talked about when they reported, we said, look, it's got to close above 200. I think that's the point Chris is making. Otherwise, you have a major double top from the beginning of the year. But on valuation, it's hard to knock Amgen. And if it does close above 200, probably sets itself up for the next leg higher in the stock. I, what was good about it, what was important about Amgen's numbers is, it, like a lot of these biotech companies, that you worry about their product pipeline and what's falling offline. They've got migraine coming to the top line. Repath is getting better. I think the stock's very cheap. It's got a great balance sheet. I agree with Chris. And guys, this is not the only one. Look at Lilly, look at Pfizer, look at Medtronic. There's a whole bunch of them acting a lot better here. I think no, that's, that, that's why we bring it up. I, you know, many of them are, uh, are up double digits uh, over the last month. Uh, and that's why the sector itself has done well. What about Amex? Anybody buying Amex today? Would they? I just want to make one point. There was another stock, PayPal, that uh, Bob Pisani talked about. I think the way that those two stocks reacted to kind of disappointing quarters was PayPal kind of... PayPal and Amex? Yeah, the, the both of them, they were just down a little bit. What, what I'm saying is they didn't get killed, and I don't know why those were in there. So I actually throw, think they show some resilience, and there's some things going on fundamentally there that are pretty constructive, and the fact that the stocks didn't get killed, I think, is kind of bullish. Yeah, and they've tried to sell the stock all year, and every time it keeps coming right back. So I think that 95 area, good level uh, on Amex. Chris, good stuff. Thanks so Thank much. You. All right, Chris Brown. Coming up, Shake Shack sinking in the after hours. The company conference call underway as we speak. We'll tell you one thing you need to know about the quarter that has all of Wall Street talking tonight. Plus, hedge funds getting left out in the cold this earnings season after piling into Facebook and out of Apple, which of course has been on fire. We'll tell you who got hit the hardest. More fast is coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shake Shack tanking after hours. The stock is down over 5%. Meg Terrell's got the latest analyst reactions. Meg. Hey, Scott. Well, it was a big beat on both the top and the bottom lines for Shake Shack, and comparable store sales growth appeared to be essentially in line with the 1.1% the street was looking for. The company also reiterated its full-year guidance. But considering the stock's huge run, up more than 90% in the last year, expectations were extremely high going into the results. Cowan, in a preview note, writing, quote, our historical analysis suggests in order for Shack's premium multiple to expand, second quarter comps needed to beat, while updated 2018 guidance requires an implied raise for the second half of 2018, 
versus the 0.5% consensus. And reacting to the results, Wedbush noting that Shake Shack didn't get there, saying, quote, we really needed to see a 2% plus type of a comp for the shares to move up from here. Clearly, this is a case of expectations being a little too high. We also needed the guidance to be raised, and it was reiterated. So without raised guidance from here, clearly the valuation is going to be a concern. Meanwhile, the call is ongoing, and Shake Shack announced it's joining others, including Starbucks, in getting rid of plastic straws. With founder Danny Meyer just tweeting, he's proud that the company announced a commitment to eliminate all plastic straws within the first quarter of 2019. But you are seeing uh, quite a, a downward motion there in Shake Shack stock. Scott, back to you. Yeah, indigestion tonight. Meg, thanks so much. <laughs> Meg Terrell following the earnings for us. Burger stock's been struggling all year. So is Shake Shack about to join the Burger Blues? What do we think? Well, I'll tell you what, Randy Garuti and co, I think they're running this company as well as they can, and they're a victim of their own success. You know, frankly, those first quarter numbers, the stock shot up 18 or 19 percent the next day, and it's been struggling to kind of hold on to those gains. Um, I think the expectations and the comps are difficult here. Um, I think the company is actually connecting on all cylinders. Could they be guiding conservatively, though? They beat and didn't raise by the beat. They could so be. They could, they could be. be. I, I, again, I just, look, this is a valuation call, and, and if you look at fast food, those valuations are all over the map, and people can make arguments all the way in. Shake Shack's at the top of the heap, though. See their operating margins? Operating margins came in a little over 11%. The street was looking for 8.5%. In terms of the guidance, clearly Josh Brown called Randy up and said he will not be dining at Shake Shack in the second half of the year, <laughs> which is the reason why they didn't guide. I know Josh is watching now, but I don't think valuation is all that fan, ridiculous, even with that conservative guidance. As a shareholder, I, I did. I saw the video. Yeah. Did we show the video? Yeah. Oh, they always show yeah. the video. They always, they probably show it now. Did you wear a hairnet? No, I don't wear it at the restaurant. <laughs> Just at home. We don't have the video, Scott. There's not a single ounce of that dude that's moving over there. It's too bad because it's great stuff. No, he took it as a compliment. Don't no, worry. I know. I'm kidding. It's, I love Josh. <laughs> Options traders sure aren't loving uh, one burger named McDonald's. So break it down for us, Dan. Yeah, this one was just today's action. was really interesting. It's just for today into tomorrow. Put volume was almost two times that uh, of calls today in McDonald's. And the most active strike were 5,500 of the August 3rd. Tomorrow expiration, 155 puts, trading at about 60 cents. 60 cents excuse me. When you see this sort of price action on such a short-term basis, uh, especially when it's new open interest, it could obviously be some protection, but it's more likely a trader playing for a breakdown or traders. I have two charts here which kind of illustrate why one might be looking at that 155 strike level. That is the one-year chart. You can see it's bounced off there numerous occasions, uh, maybe playing for um, a move below there. And then on the five-year basis, this one's kind of interesting um, to look at that uptrend line. You know, you see some good room to the downside if you get through that 155 level, but buying one-day puts to play for that sort of move is probably not a great use of premium. All right, for more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Still ahead, okay. Wall Street celebrating Apple today, crossing the trillion-dollar milestone for the first time ever. But did the smart money miss the party? We'll explain. Plus, let's get a sneak peek into the Mad Money studio, our Kramer cam. Tonight, Jim sits down with the CEO of Clorox after the stock cleaned house today. That's at the top uh -huh. of the app. Uh -huh. uh -huh. See what you did there. Yeah. And write it. Just read it. See what you did there. <laughs> We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. More Fast Money after the break. We are back on Fast Money tonight as Apple soars to new highs and most of Wall Street has been celebrating. Except 
for the hedge fund world. Our Leslie Picker joins us now on set with those details. Hey, Les, good it to see you. It always seems to happen this way, Scott. <laughs> Firms like Appaloosa, Co2, and more sold about 29 million shares of Apple in the first quarter. That's according to Symmetric.io, which analyzes trading trends and filings from about 1,000 hedge funds in its database. We'll find out in a few weeks if any of these guys bought shares in the second quarter when those disclosures are due. But just to put things into perspective, Apple's market valuation, of course, reached $1 trillion today. The size of the entire hedge fund industry, which invests in not just equities, but fixed income, commodities, et cetera, is just $2 trillion more. So it's no secret that Apple and other fangs have been increasingly responsible for the market's gains over the last few years. But for hedge funds looking to outperform the S&P, that creates kind of a conundrum. Too much exposure to companies like Apple can cause a fund to be overly correlated to the market. But without the big fang names, it can become very difficult to outperform. And that's what we've seen over the last few years. And to give you a sense of what we're working with from a stock picking standpoint, Delivering Alpha just two weeks ago polled about 100 large institutional investors at our conference about which company they think will be the first to reach $1 trillion in market cap. Whoops. Nearly 70% chose Amazon, not Apple. The one firm that's continued adding to Apple, though, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. His firm made about $3 billion on the position between yesterday and today. Two days. You did mention some of the funds that, you know, clearly made a good amount of money in, yeah. uh, in Apple uh, and some of these other fang stocks, Appaloosa, for example. Mm-hmm. Not everybody missed the party. No, sometimes you just you want to take your Yeah. The, the, the hedge Apple. fund for I know, I'm just Apple. Not funny either. So you're saying it wasn't Apple Palooza for Apple? No, I was I'm still waiting for the joke. Okay. Okay. But sometimes it, it, that happens. Well, I, oh, uh, oh, I just want to make one, one point about this data, <laughs> though. It's just not that funny. No, well, I thought you were going to get there. I was like waiting. All but right. this data is really interesting because these are, fir- <laughs> these are, what's going on here? These are hedge fund firms that have actually been long the, the stock for massive periods of time. And I just wanted, this is one of the savviest hedge fund investors I know right here, mm-hmm. Karen Feinerman. When the stock was in the hole down in February, you bought stock. And then when it went back up to its prior highs, you sold it. So right. if someone's looking at your reporting, it's not there. But you made money on it, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that putting too much emphasis on what is reported 45 days after the quarter doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. In my opinion, I thank you for doing it. But, but the, I think the other point to be made is these are very crowded trades. And, yeah. and Facebook maybe as crowded as any of them. And I think when you, you have the opposite story there. So these guys have to stick in these benchmarks. They don't want to be you know, missing the stocks that are outperforming. Meanwhile, um, a lot of these guys are probably in the wrong names. And I think that's what we're seeing. Well, present company excluded. I mean, I think hedge funds fashion themselves to be sort of the intelligentsia. And the intelligentsia tries to figure out ways to sell the market and be you know, sort of be the contra voice. And I think sometimes we make it far too, more, far too complicated than it needs to be. And I think that's true. With the hedge funds, everybody's looking for this next downdraft, myself included, and it's just not happening, which I think is hurting performance. We were talking about this earlier in the green room about, do you want to be paying your manager 2 and 20 to own Facebook, Apple, Google? I mean, or do they have to try to find some other way to do it? Some other, not to own it, but some other way to deliver return. Let me tell you something. If, if, if I had a hedge fund manager that I was investing with and they were... Uh, in Apple and Facebook and Google, I'd be happy to pay them two and twenty because the re- made that the, call. the returns right. uh, would be fantastic relative to some of the others who maybe have missed it, where you're paying that you're paying the fees, uh, not getting your money's worth. It also was a point why the big massive hedge funds have trouble and why smaller funds tend to outperform empirically because they can be 
more nimble. They can be in smaller names. They don't have to change the benchmarks. And ultimately, that's very positive, I think, you know, when you look at smaller managers. Well, when you look at performance, at least over the last few years, hedge fund managers on mass have been underperforming, but those that focus on technology specifically have actually been outperforming the other strategies. So they've attracted a lot more capital. Now the question becomes, you know, how hedged are they in these names and other tech names so that when the downturn, and it eventually will come, the reckoning will come, how protected will they be? How protected will, will your capital be that it will make sense to pay that two and 20? Right. Leslie, thank you. As always, Leslie Picker, final trades are up next. All right, welcome back. It's time now for final trades. We'll go around the horn. Tim, you're up first. Chris brought up Amgen. I actually think this is a good story. It's a name I'm long, and I think you can stay in biotech. <laughs> Karen. Yes, with the volatility index all the way back down to where it is now, I think it's time to buy some cheap protection. S&P puts. Danny Boy. Yeah, I like uh, Chris's Amgen call. I don't like his cat call. So. All right. Guy Adami. You really hung Tim out to dry. But <laughs> bad jokes walked right into it. You get what you, you deserved. Know. It. Signa, too cheap, too cheap, even just too cheap. There you go. <laughs> Good stuff. Easy Thank you, you all. Thank Have you a great Scott. rest of the night. Mad Money with Kramer begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.